Welcome to Shelf Talkers, a podcast from Villagewell Books and Coffee in downtown Culver City. Welcome back to Shelf Talkers. My name is Jared Caswell. I'm one of the booksellers here at Villagewell, and I am joined by Julia Elizabeth Evans, one of my coworkers and my co-host. Hey guys, um, books are bound, and I'm bounded here on my bike. So <laughs> love, love being at the Villagewell, and I love talking about books. We love talking about books. We are excited for these shelves to talk to us as this is Shelf Talkers. And so we're so excited today to be joined by our guest, um, the author of the horror novel, Maeve Fly. Uh, this is CJ Lead. How are you doing, CJ? I'm doing great. How are you all? Doing good. Thank you so much for being here. So we always offer our guests uh, a cup of coffee or a drink from the village well. And uh, CJ decided to go with water, which is great. But we had a... Are you a coffee drinker? <laughs> we had a whole mythology about coffee lined up to well to you know dive in. I, i'm gonna grab one after um and it's always black coffee for me and i've already had a whole pot this morning a whole pot what's the whole pot like two or three cups um yeah like three That's good and then coffee. yeah <laughs> you know we do what we gotta do you're feeling pretty <laughs> wired yeah, i'm true. feeling great i'm feeling uh chilling i love that we did yeah. discuss uh the breakfast our breakfast uh breakfasts Shameful, and, actually, today. Yeah, the, today, all three of us just had oh, really? breakfast bars. Pre-packaged yeah. uh, breakfast. We're, as CJ said, we're just all very excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, we're all just rushing out the door trying to get on shelf talking today. <laughs> just, just couldn't wait. <laughs> yeah. As we talk about the books, I, I know you've been to the store a lot. You said you've been um, many a time. Um, you're excited that it opened as an L.A. local, yeah. which is really fun. Have you seen that around the store we do these things that we call shelf talkers that we put they're like the little cards that we put in on the shelf um, i didn't realize you were calling those shelf talkers yeah they're great so that was our little recommendations are that they were called shelf talkers that was kind of the inspiration for the podcast but would you give us like a two to three sentence shelf talker for mavefly your uh most recent novel uh summarizing and pitching this book like why you should read okay yes yes so I, I, as far as what I'm allowed to say, trying to avoid a certain word um, of IP, I would say uh, amusement park princess by day, serial killer by night. Uh, you know, read this book if you want misanthropic literature, bar crawls, uh, messed up scary dolls, um, a lot of obscure youtube and reddit and okay. uh internet rabbit holes well, that's so funny you brought up the um the ip that cannot be named well you can say whatever you want to say i, I just i'm allowed to, to? Yeah, yeah. well you're not allowed to say the name but i'm allowed to yeah, say what i my, think the ip is yep my book is it takes place you know partially in an amusement park in anaheim that right. definitely doesn't exist in the real world i think that you've famous, never been to right a yeah. famous fake yeah. Amusement Park that is also known as the happiest place on earth. Yeah. In your universe. Happiest place in the world, I believe, is how we oh, had to say oh, it. Oh, <laughs> that's beautiful. Oh, so that because that tagline is also <laughs> copyrighted? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I wouldn't have thought. So <laughs> when you wrote the book, did you write it? Thinking? It was written differently it was before. Written. And it actually circulated this whole town written differently. And luckily, nobody came after me. And please don't if you're listening to this. But um, yeah, it was just written uh, the way that I thought it. And um, 
a number of legal teams weighed in on that, really? <laughs> how to change it, yeah, and how to get around things. And um, my favorite page of the book now is actually the disclaimer in the beginning of the book <laughs> that says that um, both the L.A. Kings and the uh, Disney Corporation did not in any way endorse this book, wow. which I love. <laughs> e even though you go out of your way to describe the Disney Corporation you still then felt the need, the legal team still felt the need to say, yeah. this might bear resemblance to a company you're aware of, the largest media conglomerate in the world. Yeah. But we did not they, do that. Listen, this. they've been cool. Like okay. I, you know, so far so good. And there's no way that nobody knew. I think they just don't care. It's books. They're like, whatever, <laughs> do what you want to do. I think Grady Hendricks did a whole, well, I know he did that whole Ikea book. Right. Um, right. Which, by the way, is an awesome book if okay. you haven't read it. I haven't. It's quite good. Horror store. Okay. And uh, yeah, he was like, they don't care about you. They don't care about us. Like, Small we're push. authors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Unless the IP gets picked up and now you've got an IP battle. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I love that. That's so funny. I mean, and you know, uh, I want to I talk about the experience of reading the book and knowing what Knowing that, because we all catch the reference. I mean, it's not even a reference. It's 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 culturally who we all are as both LA dwellers, yeah, and American, just citizens Consumers. of the world. Consumers. Yeah. Well, Perfect. the song, right? The song in the Ice Princess movie also is like has been such a part of life. It feels like for many years now. I love mm. the media training of we the song in the Ice Princess movie. <laughs> like I love that. It's like that that phrase didn't even seem like you needed to think through that phrase you just knew no, that that was the phrase yeah time. yeah wait and can you can you like for people that haven't read the book um that are just listening can you talk about can you set up set up mayfly yeah so uh well the, so this aspect of it is that she does play this ice princess character at work Maeve, Maeve, plays Maeve does yes Maeve in my book mayfly please buy it <laughs> um please buy it at the village well she plays this character who I actually think is so interesting. And like, I'm not, I haven't watched so many of these movies as an adult. I've been to the park one t now twice as an adult, uh, once before I wrote the book. And um, I, I just think this character, like she's kind of this bizarre archetypal defiance. And I think that's a lot of why like young girls or young kids really respond to it because she's the protagonist, but she's also the antagonist. And she's also like, very powerful and it doesn't come down to a love story or marriage and i think there's yeah. something really interesting there she kind of occupies the space of crone while being a young beautiful princess and that is like uncomfortable and interesting and i wanted to i wanted Maeve to be a similar kind of character mm -hmm. who lives that solitary life that in folklore and in um, those cartoon movies growing up, we were taught is really reserved for older women who have outgrown their childbearing years, you know, and thus their usefulness. Mm. So dang. So did you kind of pick the occupation to juxtapose that with her evening it just, life? It just occurred. I thought it was a weird, like, I knew I wanted to write some, I knew I wanted to rewrite story of the eye. That's where the whole thing started. So one thing about this book Mayfly, is that, um, it, it really is in conversation with three books, mostly. Um, and that's American Psycho, Story of the Eye, and Notes from Underground. But also um, Fight Club comes in, Marquis de Sade comes in, other things come in. But um, those are the main ones. And I really wanted to rewrite Story of the Eye and wanted to see what that looked like in this day and age. And it was the weirdest thing. It was like, it just occurred to me, this was, it had to be her job. And I wanted her to really unironically love it. Mm. 
And um, I really wanted her to be a character who loved things. You know, I think we have a lot of like misanthropic, nihilistic characters, and that's interesting. But like, I also think it can be more interesting to live in the mind of somebody who has great loves in life and isn't just so bored by everything that you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And can you just also for, because I actually was not familiar with Story of the Eye, oh. read, reading your book, and I know Notes from Underground, I know American Psycho, but what is, what is Story so of the Eye? Story of the Eye is like a 90 page um, 1920s novella that has a lot of um, eggs. Well, okay, so it, it follows the pornographic exploits of a young teenage couple and ultimately culminates in, there's a lot of psychological torture, a lot of um, sexual use of eggs and urine and all kinds of things, and then um, ultimately culminates in a threesome turned murder of a Spanish priest and the insertion of an eyeball into a body part that you could probably guess. Hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wow. So the head story of the eye. So, <laughs> and you said that I want to write a new version of that. Well, okay, yeah. So it's no, Georges Bataille, and um, I I did an MFA, and um, in that MFA, nobody was talking anymore about guys like Bataille, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Somebody handed me that book at a party late night and was like, "I want to read something crazy," um, but I thought, you know. In, in many moves to bring new voices to the forefront, which is so important, it's the greatest thing we've done, right? It's the greatest thing we're still doing. Um, I think that other voices were just like, okay, well, we don't need to hear those anymore. But I actually think instead of looking at it that way, I thought, well, okay, um, I'm a woman. I have not gotten to see myself in a Patrick Bateman role or in a... Um, in, in Story of the Eye, there actually is a female protagonist, but it, I don't know. I, I just wanted to see what that felt like to get to live in that space for a time, you know, and as Patrick opposed Bate to discarding it entirely. Like, why? Right. It's awesome. Right. And Patrick Bateman being the uh, American psycho. Yes. Right. And again, it's the same thing. I think like I, I've seen people kind of make moves to push that aside and it's like, it rocks. That is a great book. American <laughs> Psycho rocks. Brett is a great writer and... Um, I don't know. I think there's a reason that culturally it had such a huge impact, just like this Ice Princess movie. Like, mm. there are things that mm. really affect us, and I just wanted to get to live in that for a bit. One of the most interesting parts, I think, for me about the book, um, going back to the conversation around the happiest place in the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and versus, you know, all the the references you have to Storm of the Eye, which I'm, I've been learned about and looked up, but when you don't name the reference or the entity which is disney what it it made for me reading it the setting much spookier my brain because you hadn't named it was just hovering over i love that the, almost like the shark in jaws yeah, yeah yeah hovering over the the all of the cultural uh like references and i actually have a very personal connection to disney my grandfather was a 25th employee of Walt Whoa. Disney World in, in Florida, and he was the head of trash collection. Disney is part of me and my family and my blood. You've only really been to Disneyland once, and 
So yeah, not, and not I so know, much I've about... only been to the like the adventure part side, mm. <laughs> so, which is where, by the way, those two princesses happen to reside. I don't understand why, but um, they just got to divide them somehow. Yeah, and just it is really mad magical, actually. It's magical. I actually went last week. We had family in town from the East Coast, and we went. And that was and your I, second I time. I finally got to go, yeah, to the other. Like, they, we went on the Haunted Mansion. It was awesome. Yeah. I actually kind of got stuck on that ride. Yeah, that's fun. Um, that's like, fun. It was kind of amazing. Well, it's magical. I say this uh, meaningfully or sincerely, because the fact that you, maybe I just assumed that you, like me, had all of this. Intimate dis- knowledge. Yeah, it, thank you. Familial, intimate knowledge of Disney and its its operation. But well, you know, it was COVID. So when I wrote this book, like we were all on lockdown and um, I watched a lot of YouTube walkthroughs of like the Halloween party and I read a lot of Reddit threads and I, I mean, there's, uh, and then I just made some shit up too. Yeah. You know? uh, that kind of gets to the point about like when you're writing fiction, like how much is it research and how much is it your own point of view? And I think it's cool that you were like, just had the wherewithal to be like i don't know much about this it's it's everywhere or it's everything in our culture but i'm gonna write about it and you wrote so i didn't know much about la at the beginning of this book either um everything in this other than like the the literature that she was reading and her sort of like bar fly nature because i love a themed bar a tiki bar whatever love that love and um sitting in la the home of the tiki bar um the birthplace but um, I, we moved here from New York. I was regretting my decision. The whole world shut down. I couldn't understand LA at all, the way it was laid out. Everything was really uncomfortable to me and leaving Manhattan is just hard if you've been there like forever. So um, I was like, well, okay, I can't go anywhere, but I can at least drive around and look at the city from the inside of my car and read books about it. And wow, wow. So I started to read about the city and um, kind of like just try to get the layout. And through that, it obviously led me to the park. The park is so much to do with the city. And a lot of the city is actually designed to be a theme park of sorts. Like that was really what they were doing. Wow. I talk about it in, the, in my book, Mayfly. Do you think L.A. is is, very, is any different from... Or well, do you think L.A. and Disneyland are all that much different? No, and, and in fact, that was intentional. That's awesome. It's really cool to learn about it. I mean, I read, in fact, um, there are, I'm sure there are books at Village Well about it too, but there are just like, there's so much on the history of the city, programmatic architecture, which is what they were doing in the 20s where they had like buildings that looked like what they had inside. So like, you'll see like the giant binoculars building, like burgers, whatever, like there are tons of them around town. And in many ways, this city was designed to be a place for people to come and visit and have this sort of fantasy land experience. And that's what the park was too. They're both extensions of each other. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we do have, like we have like Mirage Factory. I assume, yeah. Is that one of, yeah, and then like we have a whole good, we have a whole good uh, LA and California section in the bookstore oh, yeah. of, of history, but um, that's really fascinating. I, I don't think I realized, yeah, the connection to Disneyland even as the, the construction or the fabrication of these it's huge. And the Castle on Sunset, I don't know if you've read that about the Chateau. Um, that one talks about how the Strip came about. And it's just like, it was a dirt road for many years. Yeah, you know? and now it's the the main spot with the most billboards. Yeah, with the most <laughs> billboards, the biggest billboards. I'm always blown away when I drive on Sunset. <laughs> and I'm like, how, how do they have so many billboards? It's just everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I, I want to get back even to what you were saying with, um, like you wanted to try to find a character that was able to explore these similar ideas, um, as American Psycho and others, but cause it, it felt to me like you were saying, um, like to explore kind of the alienation of this character. But I love that you said, but still, um, loves things because i do feel like so much of like novels or literature or wes anderson movies where we explore this like disaffected yeah. alienated character that is essentially nihilistic and apathetic somewhat um unhealthy or um you know ways that uh may, might not you know create the best society if everybody yeah. loves society <laughs> that way what did that look like to kind of earnestly pursue this person actually loves life in this weird way yeah, well, it's interesting because, like, we're pack animals. And, uh, but there are people, like, I, I consider myself, like, we're lucky to have a lot of friends and family, but I love being alone. And most of the things I do that I love, I prefer to do on my own, like listen to music or read or, you know, explore new things. I think there's no greater joy than sitting at a bar by oneself with a book in hand. You know what I mean? It's just, um, it wasn't, that wasn't difficult for me. And I've always felt like books in which the main character has great loves and interests, those end up being my favorite books because it's like, also I love the idea that you get to look at anything in a new way. So some of her loves and interests were things that I also loved, but some of them I was like, I don't care for that at all. And like through the course of writing the book, I was like, oh yeah, I totally love it. You know? Can you get an example of that? Well, LA is the best one. (laughs) You know, this is like a city that I was like, this is a nightmare. What did I do? And um, now I don't know if I'm going to live anywhere else. So Wow. And you think you found that through exploring the book? Yeah. So my, my big, this is my big theory that I keep positing at every turn. But I think that if we stare at anything for long enough, we cannot help but fall in love with it. And I, mm. I feel that um, we have to, I have to be careful what I write books about now because, and it's funny, my next, wow. <laughs> my next book is actually about um, the Catholic church, which is something, uh, a thing that I've had a great deal of struggle with in my life. And it's been a really interesting experience kind of like looking at it I can't say I've totally fallen in love with it yet, but I'm still doing edits, so. That's so <laughs> funny. Yeah, it is interesting how much horror explores specifically the Catholic Church. I mean, with the exorcist, obviously, but there's so much of. Well, it's very focused on, I mean, it's. Demonology and all absolutely. that. Absolutely. Demons and uh, other other sects, uh, you know, worship a, a whole and human figure and mm. Catholics like the crucified one. You know, there's a lot of darkness there, but what I've, what I've found to love again is the ritual and the history and, um, really a lot of excess when it comes down to it. I mean, that's what Anne Rice wrote about for many years is like, it's, they're pretty opulent places. Yeah. 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 Pretty interesting. The cathedrals and everything yeah. are well, massive. But I, I think it's so cool. Um, Mayfly was so, um, bright as a, as a horror novel like like calling it what it is it's a horror novel right but there was like a bubbliness an effervescence and that's the nature of the setting yeah the references you have and like the idea of excess and campiness what is the your aesthetic as a horror writer um well i i love a lot of neon (laughs) i do i love a shiny place i think so i read a lot of genre um i read I would say I read all kinds of books all the time. I should probably read more nonfiction, but um, 
I love romance novels and I love fantasy novels. I did in my early 20s, I read like every YA fantasy novel that existed. Wow. And um, romance is what I read kind of nonstop when I'm writing horror because, you know, it's like you need a reprieve, or at least I do. Yeah. Which is kind of, in my mind, the opposite. Yeah. Why I think of horror it or romance. Be. It's like a bomb or something. It can it's be, like... but I think like my, what I really wanted to do and what I want to keep doing is like, I, I, I actually mentioned Anne Rice, but she actually kind of like horror and romance and eroticism were always kind of tied together for her, which was interesting. But um, I think that there are horror novels that are really like, this is scary. This is dark. This is bleak. A lot of grief horror where it's like, this is hard. And you kind of live in like a black I, I look at it as like a black gray zone for a book, right? Just color palette wise. And like, I really want to write books that sort of have a broad spectrum of color and I want them to be scary and gross and gnarly and take you to the dark places and the things that are very difficult to look at. Because, but also they could be bright green yeah, and bright why not? purple and why like not? light blue at the same time. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's so cool as a writer. You, you can really do whatever you want, you know? And it's like... Uh, I think I'm interested in like, how do we take the aspects that I love about a romance novel, for example, by the way, you could, I guess, categorize my book as a hockey romance, though, um, there, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but it, but it does, uh, romance genre might say no to that, but, um, <laughs> it's, you know, there are things that you can always take from different places and I hope to keep doing that. And my main thing was I wanted to see a female monster who was not a victim first and who didn't have some big traumatic backstory and or if she does she's not dwelling on it and she's not talking about it or thinking about it and so it becomes about the freedom of action which like realistically men have had in fiction forever and I don't think that's something we need to toss aside I think it's something we can participate in and then everybody gets to do it and we get to celebrate all the great work in the world you know I love that. Yeah. Anybody can be a villain. Yeah. 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 That's perfect. That's perfect. I think, because I think one thing about this is like, I know Julia said something similar earlier, like I'm not a horror yeah. person. Yeah. Movies, books, Fair mostly enough. stay away. But then we, um, I, I think just like, what is your pitch for the, for the idea of like using horror conventions to get these ideas across? Because to me, like you have an idea, you think, oh man, I want to explore this idea or this message um yeah i think just to me i just funny as a person who likes art or even likes to think of creating movies or books like the idea of using the horror genre mm. to accomplish that never crosses my mind so like where in that yeah. for you i mean to me it's like if if you're writing a book at any time you're saying what's the worst thing that could happen right now right like i think that's that's creating tension that yes and i'm like yeah. well if you really want to talk about the worst thing you know i think there are writers who are always going to write about life but a big part of life is death and that's what i have always felt um compelled to look at in writing but also just like in life you know i think like we live with it it's huge it's looming it um impacts us left and right and i had lost people before i wrote this but um I don't know. These are the stories I have. And I think by looking at what frightens us, by looking at this mortality that we have to dance with forever, that we have no real answers on and nobody can give them to us. Like, it's crazy. There's no self-help book that's going to be like, hey, this is what happens. You know, I think, um, how could we not look at that? 
And mm. that's, I think that's where horror resides. It's just like, it's, it's looking at death. It's looking at the fragility of the human body that we're given, which is kind of like deteriorating. What, after the age of 26? Right, <laughs> we're just right. going downhill forever. I mean, that's, beautiful. that's interesting. Is it beautiful? <laughs> no, I think it, it reminds me of um, Flannery O'Connor's view of the grotesque. Mm -hmm. Are you a Flannery O'Connor fan? Of yeah. Okay. I mean, kind of, I think the way you're describing horror as like this grotesque, but just like even a little bit more extreme. Yeah, it's well, I think it's just looking at things that are as common as falling in love, right? Like like you look around, falling in love, that happens all the time. Birth happens all the time. Family, quiet family dramas happen all the time. But death also happens all the time. And scary things happen all the time. And, and we just ignore them. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I find it very freeing. I mean, I'm somebody who's always been afraid of things. I've, I have nightmares every night of my life. I don't know why. It, I could be like the happiest I've ever been. And like... That's where my brain is. And I think kind of leaning into it and not trying to shy away from it is, uh, is I have found not only like empowering, but also just like kind of feels good, you know, <laughs> like it kind of feels good to just be like, yeah, okay, we're dying, but you know, other people are dying. So how can we, what do we do with this? And maybe it just comes down to like, I'm going to really, really enjoy my pina colada, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Enjoy what we've got before before yeah. we join the throngs of death. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of Mayfly is about grief, of course, and like the sort of like anticipatory and, grief, which say, is terrible. Was, yeah. It's about anticipating death. Yeah. Anticipating it's the worst, you know, and that's something that every human being is going to contend with or yeah. has contended with at one point or other. And so. Wow. That's beautiful. I guess a good move into our final question. Yeah. So our this whole podcast is its own uh, shelf talker about your book, Mayfly. But, but can you write a shelf talker for one book that you would recommend that you want somebody to pick up at Village Well? Oh, wow. Could be um, any type of any book. I am. Can I do two? Because I just did actually an event oh, with wow. two authors at Village Well, and I want to pitch both their books Excellent. right now. And you're pitching events at Village Well. We love it. Yes. A great event. That was that was a really fun event, by the way. We love I, I really think this is a very special store and a great um, community space. But uh, so Camp Damascus, Chuck Tingle. And Chuck Tingle has a whole history, by the way, of writing these tinglers. I don't know if you know about them. Go Google this. Go Google him if you have not. He's amazing. Tingler is a genre? <laughs> yeah, they're basically like short, um, very often like esoteric or even like sci-fi erotica of his that he's been writing for many many years um and just definitely google you're gonna enjoy it um but he wrote a horror novel camp damascus which is basically a um young girl um kind of like struggling with her sexuality but also demons in the church and it rocks um love it and the other one is uh, Liz Karen's Night's Edge. And these are all in my same publisher. Nightfire is putting out great stuff. But um, Night's Edge is about a figurative and literal uh, vampiric mother and her daughter who lives with her and is also actually kind of um, coming into her sexuality and is uh, starting to branch out a bit and what happens there. Well, they're the both quite good. Yeah. I'm. I'm enticed. I really am. I'm learning so much about this this whole world that I... It's a big world. It's so cool. <laughs> so thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you for giving these recommendations for people who enjoy 
horror of yours and, and people that they might enjoy um, similarly. Thank you for exploring horror. I think I think I am just on a quest to like figure out, um, yeah, like what what is in the mind of people who write these beautiful horror stories that to me just would never think. So I thank you for explaining that. I think your explanation of all of that was really beautiful and really funny. I'm so glad it's a big umbrella. You know, it's not all totally. slashers out here, though. Of course, Mayfly is, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. Well, thank you so much. We had such a fun time with you, CJ. Thank you so thank much for you. being on the podcast. Um, this has been Shelf Talkers. Um, we, we love talking to these shelves and what they say back. And thank you so much for joining us to talk about Mayfly, CJ. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, stick around um, for a quick rundown of the events at Village Well in our upcoming couple weeks. Um, we have events on our website. We do many uh, readings uh, like we had with CJ and the author she mentioned earlier. Um, thank you so much for being here, CJ, and we're so excited to, uh, to get to talk to you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm a big fan, and everybody go to Village Well. I might see you there. Hi, everybody. Julia here. Quick update. Jared and I interviewed CJ Lead back in November 2023, and since then, CJ Lead's book, Mayfly, won the 2023 Octavia E. Butler Golden Poppy Award, as presented by the California Booksellers Alliance. And... For all y'all horror-specific fans out there, Mayfly was announced in January 2024 to be on the preliminary ballot for the Bram Stoker Award in Superior Achievement in First Novel. The Bram Stoker Award, the horror genre's most prestigious literary award. Way to go, CJ! And now, back to regular programming. And welcome back to the second segment of our podcast, Culver New Cane, our audio newsletter, where we talk about the events at the bookstore. And we also have a book recommendation. Today, we have a community member as a guest. And I'm here sitting with Jeff Morricole. Hey, Jeff, how's it going? Hey, Julia. Doing great. And so, Jeff, you're part of the community. You're a frequent workday visitor at the Village Well Books and Coffee Shop. What else are you what else are you up to? Uh, yeah, so I've, I've lived here in the community for um, the last 11 years. Um, I work as an artist and architect, and uh, in the past I actually also did a workshop at the uh, bookstore um, where I teach people this uh, folding pattern that I do in my art. I do these kind of large sculptures, almost like large-scale origami. There's this folding pattern that um, is very teachable to people within a sort of, you know, about 30, 40-minute time, timeline. And, um, you know, I kind of love sharing that with people because it kind of demystifies the work for them. That workshop, I had just started working at the bookstore and I remember seeing it and I wasn't able to come. That was back in September. And then when Jen introduced us to last week, I thought, oh, I can't wait to have you go on our little Culver New Cane audio newsletter because I want people to know more about your art and your uh, paper folding. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to be here. How did you get into folding paper as an art? Uh, you know, actually, I so I grew up in suburban Orlando. And um, when I was a little kid, uh, my neighbors had a Japanese exchange student that kind of initially introduced me to uh, origami. And I think I was just so immediately drawn to it. There was something about um, taking something two-dimensional and turning it into something three-dimensional without adding anything to it that, I don't know, it was just sort of fascinating to me. And, um, and then, um, you know, with growing up in Orlando, 
Um, you know, my mom was a teacher and so she had the summers off. We lived fairly close by to the whole Disney World complex. You know, at that time they were giving fairly inexpensive season passes to local residents. And so in the summers we would go to, I would want to go to Epcot over and over. And I'd always want to go to the, you know, the Japan pavilion uh, at Epcot and get like more origami paper and more origami books and stuff. And that was sort of what continued to like feed my interest in it. And That's then, um, Epcot, Epcot is my favorite oh, yeah. Disney Epcot's park. The best one. Yeah. Sure. We always, we always go to Epcot. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, do you know what Epcot stands for? I, there was a point when I did, because uh, Jeff and I actually also share in our, our Orlando roots. My family also is from Orlando, and my dad helped dig the ditches to make Epcot possible. But what does Epcot stand it's, for? Oh, I should that's know awesome. This. Cool. Cool ditch digging. Uh, it is the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Hey, and that segues perfectly into our book recommendation. So, Jeff, I'm actually just going to, because I love this segue, uh, <laughs> your, your book recommendation is... Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. And Jeff, tell us about the book. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I was recommended this book by a number of friends. Um, and I, for a lot of years, have been more of a nonfiction reader. Um, I've read a lot of fiction when I was growing up, but this book, uh, I was searching for some good fiction. And this book was kind of tossed into my lap. Uh, I'm about a third of the way into it. Um, but the thing that's really drawing me into it is um, love the author's ability to kind of express the experience of being human, but through the world of gaming, um, you know, this kind of desire to have multiple lives, uh, do-overs and the consequence of decisions. And, you know, I also think it's really cool that you get this front row seat um, to the character's like process of creation. So yeah, that's what's really keeping me like turning the pages each night with it. I remember I grabbed that book uh, maybe two years ago, I guess the year it came out. And now whenever folks come into the, into the shop, people sometimes ask, I'm having a hard time getting into a book. I'm having a hard time getting back into the into reading after some time. And this book, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, is the book I always recommend to folks when they want to be uh, enchanted by fiction all over again. Huh. And great I, recommendation. I, yeah, it's fun. And it's one of our best sellers. It's been one of our best sellers, of course, because it's set half, half of the book is set in Los Angeles, well, in Venice, but also in Echo Park. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of, uh, they, they're kind of alluding to that because they talk about where, you know, the, the two characters, one of them grows up kind of in wealthy Beverly Hills. The other right. one grows up, I think he lives in, in K-Town. He, I, I think it's like his, he lives in Echo Park, but his well, grandparents have the pizza Yeah, he'll eventually live, there. yeah, you'll see, and like, because they come back. I'm, gotcha. There's yeah, yeah. not too much spoiling, but like, you know, as they're developing these games and as they, their career continues, because it's still, you know, coming of age, building's Roman story, they'll eventually come back to LA metro area to develop oh, the, yeah, yeah. their my, work. My, um, my friend in Seattle who recommended the book, um, specifically said that she was like oh you're such a like la nerd you're gonna love it yeah yeah and for me you know um everybody that's listening to the podcast i just moved to la three years ago and reading this book was a, just a, a boon for me because i was able to learn all about the the city i mean i got to learn about each individual neighborhood gabrielle zevin she does such a great job giving so much character not just to the city of la but each individual neighborhood oh yeah very cool yeah I, I just love this book as i can as maybe folks can can tell but what's what i think is funny is this is yet another shakespeare in the shakespeare reference for anybody listening last week 
Uh, we had a Burnham Wood was the recommendation this week. It's tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And it is a quote from Macbeth, just like last week. The quote is tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this penny pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. Uh, but you're thinking about Billage Well and what's happening in the shop. Tomorrow night, we have our cyberpunk future, a discussion of science fiction and, and the near now with Jared Shuren and Anne C. Perry. So Jared Shuren came in all the way from uh, across over the, overseas, and he's going to be a special guest talking about his cyberpunk anthology. And then on Friday night, we have a board game, our, our regular monthly board game night. Upcoming next week is our book club, our general book club book, um, and we'll be discussing Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang. And many more things. So go online if you want to and learn more about what events we have at the shop. And thanks so much, Jeff, for being with me in our little little studio today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Julia. Yeah, that was such a great recommendation. I'm excited. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I'm i on a fiction train now. I, I got to find a second recommendation, so I'll, I'll check in on the podcast for f- future recommendations. Perfect, perfect. Uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll see you on the store. You'll see you there. This episode of Shelf Talkers is brought to you by Village Well Books and Coffee, was produced by Jared Kassebaum and Julia Elizabeth Evans, edited by Julia Elizabeth Evans, and our theme music is from Noah Vickland. Until next time, keep reading.